Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. It's so great uh, to be in the house this morning. I'm so glad you're here. We're in the second week of our Christmas series. It's called Christmas, It's All Good. And this morning, I want to talk to you about anybody and everyone, anybody and everyone. <clears throat> this is also the second week of Advent, which the theme of Advent is peace. And I uh, thought, you know, as, as followers of Jesus, we're called to live in peace. And then I recalled also that our vision statement um, has a lot in it about peace, and we're committed to peace here at Restore. And so, uh, why don't you? Why don't we just together again refresh our memory and uh, say this with me: With restoration and peace as hallmarks of Restore Church, we, infused by the Spirit of Christ, gather to worship and are empowered to serve and invest in others. As we live and grow, we work for the good of the city, the nation, and the world. Amen. If restoration and peace are our hallmarks, by that I mean, if that is a distinctive characteristic of our life, that means that we are a restorative people, uh, even while we ourselves are being restored to our true identity in Jesus. We are people that are creating a better more beautiful world where the tired, the weak, and those in misery find hope, they find healing, and they find peace. What I know is that a vision statement is just a vision statement if we don't remember what it is, if we don't live into it. Vision leaks out if, and it goes away when we aren't reminded of what that vision is. We forget the why behind the what. And then sometimes we find ourselves as people with great intentions and little action, which results in stagnation and ineffectiveness. And someone once said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I'm here to say this morning that if we don't act on our good intentions, if we don't live into who Jesus called us to be, then we will find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. So we lean into restoration and peace. I mean, we really, we want to live it out. And it will help us understand that most of us really want this. Most of us want, we want restoration. We want peace. And our intentions for what, what, what restoration and peace actually is. Uh, now, for example, we have good intentions toward that. But for example, like most people assume there's a universal code of conduct that we ought to abide by. I mean, we see it in the customs, in the traditions of every nation and even ancient civilizations in the world. It's this set of universal oughts. We mostly hold ourselves to them. We mostly hold ourselves accountable. Like, um, we say things like, well, I really ought to give my seat up for that person. If we're sitting somewhere and someone walks in and we think, well, we ought to do that. We ought to do that good thing of giving up my seat. Or, you know what? I really messed up. I said some things I shouldn't have said. I really ought to apologize for what I said. Or here's a big one. 
When we begin to look outside of ourselves and we see the world around us, we see people that don't agree with me in a certain, for a certain perspective, we say things like, I really ought to want to have a greater understanding of others. Our want to is a little missing. We ought to do such and such. Sometimes we hold ourselves accountable to the oughts, but we always, don't we? We always hold others accountable. Even if you don't bother holding yourself accountable, the truth is you do hold other people accountable to the oughts. For example, liars don't, don't like being lied to. You can, look at a, you can look at someone and you know they have been not been telling the truth and you try to bring one over them, you lie to them. They're not gonna go for that. Thieves don't like being stolen from. A thief in his home, you break in and you try to steal from that thief, that thief is going to call the police. They don't wanna be stolen from. Cheaters don't wanna be cheated on. This is just the way human nature is. But we simply can't stop holding others accountable to the external standard that we ourselves sometimes ignore. The inequity that we have a tendency to get cozy with helps us shed the guilt of not living into our intentions. This is not just a Christian thing. Hypocrisy doesn't just live in the Christian world. Hypocrisy is true in the, for Christians and non-Christians alike. So this seeming inability to live well, to be good, underscores why the arrival of Jesus was such a big deal. Last week, we noted that some people actually resist following Jesus because they can't get past the is it true question. Some of us resist because of questioning the goodness of God. Is Christianity really good? Is it good for society? I mean, today, in today's world, in today's culture, more and more people are asking this question. Is it really good? Is it good for me? Is it dangerous or harmful? But I'm telling you this morning that when we hear news that's not good, we hope it's not true. When we hear good news, though, we hope it is true. The birth of Jesus was announced as good news, great joy. In Luke 2, the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I love that phrase. Do not be afraid. Fear not. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, for all people, for anybody and everyone. But was it for all people? Is it for anybody and everyone? If the birth of Jesus really is good news for all people, why is there so much resistance? Why doesn't everybody lean in? Sometimes I wonder if it's because they see us. Those of us that claim to follow the way of Jesus, they see us. And they ask, do their intentions and their actions follow their words? I wonder this morning, what are the ought to's that we don't hold ourselves accountable to? You know, one of the things that makes the good news so good is that Jesus, with his message, he basically leveled the playing field. Jesus shows up, and he levels the playing field. His words are uh, both disturbing, and they're appropriately humble, humbling, like they remind us that we have the propensity toward doing good but we don't actually always live into that doing good. Last week we talked about how all of us do some good things. 
But the good things that Jesus calls us are the good things like, hmm, love your enemy. Do good to those that harm you. Those are disturbing words and hard to follow. It was this good message, this this good word that Jesus brought that disturbed the people that thought they were so good. And it gave hope to the people that just simply aren't making, aren't, aren't hitting the mark. People like you and I. People like you and I who actually look around and sometimes we grab at things and we try to get leverage in certain situations. And we forget whose we are in that moment. That's who Jesus came for because all of us have this universal sense of ought. When we've been hurt by others, we feel that ought. They ought to apologize. But when it comes to us, sometimes we play it down. We ignore our conscience and just do what we want to do. But for the people who were aware and are aware of the fact that they weren't so good or aren't so good, this was good news of great joy for all of us. And because Jesus' message caught on and because the message of Jesus still resonates with people today, we want more. They wanted more. We want more. And in Luke, uh, the third gospel writer, he records Jesus saying in Luke 16, he says, uh, Jesus was, uh, was speaking and he said, until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the message of the prophets were your guides. But now... But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. See, when John the Baptist came and announced that God was about to do something new and when Jesus stepped onto the pages of history, things changed. Things changed. The law and prophets had been proclaimed. They had been uh, taught uh, for uh, all those years but in, until John. But then since that time, and here it is, the good news of the kingdom of God is being, being preached, and God is about to do something in the world, something in the world for anybody and everyone in the world. See, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and Jesus says, look around. Anybody who hears it, everyone who understands it, everyone who senses that God is about to do something in the world, everyone is leaning in, everybody's moving toward it, everyone is eager to get in. It's all good. See, this story is compelling. You guys, it's worth telling. But hearing this good news also confirms that we ain't so good. We fall short. We all have ought tos we don't adhere to. We all have ought tos we don't adhere to. The, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 3, he writes, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God. When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. God came through his son, Jesus, to create a new kingdom. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We often think about eternity and the kingdom to come. And that's an appropriate thing to think about. But 
when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, not someday somewhere. He taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's an important piece here is that the kingdom of God that came with Jesus is the kingdom of God that he's asking us to bring to earth right now. In Luke 5, chapter 1, there's this story of Jesus teaching by the lake. It goes like this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genseray, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him, which was Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here's Simon, or Peter, the fisherman. He eventually became one of Jesus' followers. He was a a great man. He was a businessman. He was a family man. He had a good reputation from what we can tell. He had a good reputation in the community. And Luke, who thoroughly thoroughly investigated uh, all all of this stuff, tells us that one day Jesus was in that community and he was teaching and he was standing by the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And there were people crowding around Jesus and they were listening as he taught the word. Now, again, it doesn't say, uh, it, does, it doesn't say he actually taught the word of God, does it? It says in that first verse, Jesus is standing by the lake. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God, to the word of God. This is a big deal when we see the phrase, the word of God. We think of the Bible, but this is way before the B-I-B-L-E. And he wasn't teaching the law and prophets. After the resurrection, people closest to Jesus realized when we sat and listened to him teach, we were hearing the word of God. Shoot, I thought he was just a rabbi, just telling some cool stories. Turns out we're actually hearing the words of God. So after the resurrection, Luke recognized this and he, uh, that he recognized that they weren't just hearing the Bible being taught because there's no Bible yet. It wasn't the law and prophets. Jesus called us to more than the law and prophets. The law and prophets is just the backstory. They were actually hearing the very words of God. So the crowd is pressing in. Jesus looks around and he sees these two boats at the water's edge. And he's like, um, I, I need to step back. I'm getting pushed into the water. Everybody's leaning in, remember? There's good news that are being preached. Jesus is teaching good news. He is actually speaking the words of God. People are coming toward him. And these boats are sitting there. Now remember, uh, for those of us that are not fishermen, it's helpful for us to know what fishermen do, right? So fishermen, uh, in this case, they fished all night. The water's cool, the fish come up, they can fish during the night. When the, when the water heats up during the day, uh, the fish go down to colder water and uh, the fishing's not so good. But in this case, they had fished all night. They had got no fish. And so I imagine them sitting there at the water's edge, uh, Peter and his, and his crew, laying out their nets, drying the nets, getting all the seaweed and the beer cans out. Uh, and then they roll the nets back up again and they stash them away. And normally, they would just sleep during most of the morning, and then they'd get up in the afternoon and do it all again. 
So these guys have been up all night. They're cleaning and drying their nets. Peter has one of the nets cleaned and dried and, and rolled up on, in his boat. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, let's push out. Let's push out a little bit. I'd like to get away from the shore. I'd like to be able to see people more. And then they can hear me as I speak because it's getting really crowded. So uh, he gets into one of the boats and it happens to be the one belonging to Simon Peter. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So, so there's Peter. Imagine Peter. Like we all know Peter now. We don't know anything about Peter at this point, but we know now that Peter is, is very outspoken. Peter is, is a leader, and sometimes he regrets the ways in which he acts and the things that he does. But here's Peter. He's sitting there. Uh, you know, he's a captive audience. He can't really leave early and slip out for lunch. He's sitting on the boat, I mean, working on his net, and Jesus is teaching. Can you imagine sitting there and hearing the words of God being taught in that, what, a, what an amazing opportunity. He's listening to the word of God with no clue that this was the case. And then uh, scripture says he, the, Jesus finishes his sermon. And in verse four, we pick it up. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. In my mind, I'm imagining that Peter, you know, Jesus gets done talking and Peter's like, all right, I got to row back to shore and drop him off. And, and instead, Jesus says, Peter, hey, take me fishing. And I have to assume Peter was like, hey, we already did that. It's no good. The fish aren't out there. We can't catch anything. We can't catch anything when we're supposed to fish. And now you're telling me to go out there and fish when I don't believe we're actually going to catch anything. But because, because, well, he might have thought, well, I've never had a rabbi in the boat before. And um, he just gave a good message. He seems to be a good guy. All right, since it's you, we're going to go give it a shot. And so in verse 6, we read, when they had done so, when they had gone out to fish, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, then Jesus said to Simon, here we go again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. You know, it's whenever I read that verse, it's like, and they all lived happily ever after. Well, we know that's not true. But it does bring us to an abrupt ending of a story. So I want to parse it out a little bit more. Jesus and Peter had rowed out a little way. They were rowing out a little ways. And, um, and I just, can you imagine with me the questions that were circling in Peter's head at that moment? As he put the nets down that he had just cleaned, he dropped them down and they started to catch fish and catch fish and catch fish and catch fish. They caught so many fish, it almost sinks the boats. I believe at some time Peter looks at this rabbi from Nazareth and he's like, something's going on here. Something's really going on here. 
suddenly, he is very self-conscious. Suddenly, Peter is really aware of Peter. He begins to see himself in a way that he's never seen himself before. And I don't believe Peter was okay with what he saw at that moment. See, suddenly being an entrepreneur, owning his own business, wasn't such a big deal. In this moment with Jesus in the boat with all these fish, and I mean, he's not going to have to fish for days and days. He has a sense of shame. And he lets go of the net. And I imagine Luke, who probably got this story straight from Peter, said, when Simon Peter saw this, some of you can relate to this. Suddenly the fish, the fishing, and the business, and the crowd on the shore, all watching all of this, all of a sudden, none of that mattered anymore. It became inconsequential. But because Peter's world was way out of balance. He was off kilter. He was off center in that moment. He was in the presence of Jesus. And what happens when we're in the presence of Jesus is we become really, really intimately aware of what we're not and what he is. He says, go away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. To which we might say, well, Peter, get up. Get up, Peter. You haven't done anything wrong. In fact, not only have you not done anything wrong, you did something right. You took Jesus fishing. You took Jesus fishing when it was a waste of time. Your nets were already dried. You did the right thing. To which Peter might have said, I'm not here to confess a sin. I'm just telling you in the presence of this person, I'm just telling you, I suddenly became aware of the fact that I'm a sinful man. I'm not okay. When he says, Jesus, I need you to go away, what he meant was, I need you to go away so I can get back to feeling okay about myself. Go away so I don't have to feel that what I'm feeling right now. I thought I was fine until you showed up. To which Jesus could have said, it's true. You are a sinful man. And in fact, Peter, let me tell you, your greatest sin is still in your future. Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me. You are going to deny the events of this day. And I know that because you are a sinful man. But that's why I've come. That's why I'm here, to level the playing field. But instead, even though Jesus could have said that, instead what he says, and I believe he, I believe Jesus was a, a, a man that smiled. I believe he was a man that looked kindly on people. He saw right through the people that he was in front of. I believe Jesus looked at Peter, he smiled, and he said, don't be afraid. It's a new kind of kingdom. We're going to do a new kind of thing. And Peter, together, we will introduce the world to the kingdom of God. Now Luke says, at that point, they pulled up their boats onto the shore, and they left everything and followed him. And we all know that they've left their mark on not just their world, but on ours as well. The moment Peter recognized, I'm good, but I'm not that good. I'm good, but I'm not that good. And in your presence, Jesus, I'm just not good at all. Like I'm a sinner, and I shouldn't even be in your presence. And Jesus says, and I love this, I know you aren't. I know you're not that good. Now follow me, and we'll do something significant together. You see, what makes the good news so good is that when we get perspective and realize that we aren't so good, 
We fall short of our own expectations. We fall short of other people's expectations. And we certainly fall far short of the standard of God. Sometimes, though, we minimize our falling short by calling it a mistake, don't we? Oops, that was a mistake. Even though I did it four times to the same person, oh, that was still just a mistake. Is there such a thing as a... uh, a premeditated mistake where you plan it out and then you make the mistake that's not a mistake, but we call it a mistake. Jesus says, no, a premeditated mistake where you hurt somebody and you plan to do it, that's not a mistake. Jesus would say, that's a sin. When you hurt another person on purpose and then you do it again and again and again, you plan it, you scheme it, and you hurt another person or you hurt a company or you hurt someone you love, that's not a mistake. A mistake It's when you're doing math. A mistake is when you butt tile someone accidentally. Jesus says, come on, let's just be honest. You're not mistakers. You're sinners. Key phrase, though. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. I've come for anybody and everyone. So let's go. Let's go. Condemning the world won't get us where we're going. Saving the world is where it's at. See, the birth of Jesus was good news of great joy for anybody and everyone because we all share something in common. We all fall short, and we have been invited to embrace the same solution of this falling short. Um, I, I read this story uh, that was um, a the story of, of Billy Graham's funeral in 2018. And his daughter Ruth spoke, and um, here's what she said. I've learned this week as never before that everybody has a Billy Graham story. I have my own Billy Graham story, so I'm going to tell you that one. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The, the rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away, to get a fresh start somewhere else. And so I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of the church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date, fast and furiously. My children didn't like him. But I thought, you know, they're almost grown. They didn't know. They couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow it down? Let us wait to get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man, this man, on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and father. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to my daddy? What was I going to say to my mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? Maybe they'd say, we're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. And let me tell you, 
you women will understand. You don't want to embarrass your father. And you really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. And many of you know that we live on the side of the mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway. And my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and said, welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain, and our hurt, God says, welcome home. And that invitation is open for you. Thank you, and God bless you. Ruth Graham. I hear that story. And I read those words, no blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. And I want to say, yes, yes, this is the message of the cross. This is the message of Jesus. I don't know what your year has been like. I mean, we can look back on three years ago and say, whew, ain't nothing like that. Things are a whole lot better now. But I know that's not true for all of us. And I know that the hard things that some of us have faced this year again, we need to hear this message of no blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. We also need to hear the message that Peter preached through this passage of Scripture this morning, this passage of Scripture where Peter looks at Jesus and says, go away from me, Lord, because I am undone. Like, who am I to stand in your presence? We need to hear that, too. When we, and here's, here's, the, here's the kicker, like when we hear this, respond to it, if we really want to leave the past the past, you and I need to continually be aware of our intentions. Are we living them out? Are we living into who God's called us to be? Or are we like so many in any crowd, even those pressing into Jesus, they wanted to hear, but only a few received. We get impatient on this journey of faith. The church gets impatient. You and I get impatient. We want things to change. We want it to change quickly. And sometimes we need to be in the right space at the right time to hear the word of Jesus to us. So this morning, I want to say welcome home to you. Maybe a year ago, a message like this would have bounced right off of you. But perhaps today, it's the good news of great joy for anybody and everyone. Would you stand with me? This morning, I'd like to invite you to put a stake in the ground to remember this moment by leading you in a simple prayer. And um, those of you that have already made a commitment to Jesus... Help those around you that are wanting to make this move for the first time in their life by just saying it with me. 
um, I'll, I'll pray this, and as I pray a line, I'll pause, and you guys can uh, join in and repeat it. This is a way of saying out loud, Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm done with where I've been, and I'm coming home. I'm ready to follow you. It's a point of commitment, and it's a, a point of, of freedom. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I have fallen short. Go ahead. I am more than a mistaker. I am a sinner who needs a savior. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. This is the first step. Some of you are making this commitment for the first time. And this is a first step. When we refuse to acknowledge what is true about us, our world continues to be just as it always has been. It's a first step to acknowledge where we are today. To say, I need a savior because he came for anybody and everyone. On this second Sunday of Advent, the celebration of peace can often be projected on the world around us. We see everything that is chaotic in the world around us. We look to places of war, uh, conflicts of many kinds, inequity. Uh, we look at injustice, and we speak peace and blessing over those places. And we want to see peace come uh, to those things. But the hinge point for all of us is that until peace comes to the individual, it will never come to the place. Some of you just embrace the goodness and grace of Jesus. Peace has come to you. And now together, we will change the place. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm grateful for my friends in this space. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing among us, for the work that is uh, truly uh, ongoing for the rest of our lives. For those that have made a commitment this morning for the first time, God, would you just uh, give them a real sense of your presence in their life? Uh, knowing that this is a first step and it's an ongoing process. Would you begin to change us from the inside out now? Let our lives be a reflection of the peace and goodness that is ours through Jesus. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.